Have you ever wondered what sets apart companies at scale right from startup from those who don't? Well, the Genius at Scale podcast is here to answer that question. I interview CEOs from scaling companies and explore the counterintuitive practices that help them grow in ways that other companies don't. We'll also explore the biggest mistakes that almost wrecked them. Hi, I'm John Hitler. I'm a nine-time company founder and CEO. Now I coach CEOs in scaling companies. We'll be joined by these visionary leaders who've defied convention, challenged the status quo, and redefined the very essence of scaling. This is Genius at Scale. Hello and welcome to the Genius at Scale podcast. Today's guest is Heskey Kutcher from Activate. Heskey, introduce yourself to our audience. Sure thing. Well, thank you for having me. Number one, I'm a father of three kids, preteen and one teen, and my number one job and love of life. Professionally, for the last 20 something years, I'm aging myself. I've been uh, an entrepreneur. My partner, if he was here, it's a Heskey lying to people. It's been 40. But this is the fourth company I've started from scratch. The first company was a SaaS for large brick and mortar retailers to help them publish their weekly sales. Second was a network of targeted media properties focused on new car buyers. And the third, which is fourth is very related to it, was in the K-12 public school space where we provided healthcare and software for large public school systems. And this one is actually working with the sports and activities department. We have a mission to enable all kids to have winning lives. Sports is such a big influencer on kids' growth trajectory and participation is lower than it used to be. So we're working on how do we provide the tools and resources to schools to make that experience much better so more kids can experience it. Wow, that's terrific. So I'm curious, you've had four companies. You you bootstrapped them or did you, did you fundraise for them? Or? Venture, venture funded, yeah. I've raised a significant amount of capital. For- okay. And what did, what did all four companies have in common other than you being the founder? Like, did, was there a theme that went through all of them? In the first two was helping get information that people want in front of the people who want them when they want them. Okay. In the second one, it's really digitization of the school systems and enabling better community and services based on that. And I would imagine the school systems from a tech and digitalization standpoint are dinosaurs or just way behind? Way behind. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got it. I got it. So but it's unfair to blame them. They're not budgeted yeah. appropriately. They're, they're not well-staffed. They're not set up with IT. They're, yeah. Yeah. They're underfunded. and They're way underfunded. And there's so many rules and regulation that are anti them being able to do what they need to do. I mean, we're, we're tying their hands. And yeah. for some of it is for good reason. I mean, right. their buying cycles are tough, but do you really want your schools handing out jobs to their best friends and nieces? No. So you've got to have regulations that slows down the sales cycle. I mean, some people don't want to approach. It's a, it's, it's one of the big problems we face as a, as a country is we still, we still run a, a 20th century school system, which is based on basically daycare and farm schedules. 
Yeah, that's not going to prepare anybody for the real world. That's a whole different conversation. We won't have that one today. But so where are you now in your trajectory then? Obviously, you've got critical mass and you're you're doing real contracts and real work. G- give us a flavor for the first three years, like the entrepreneurial's journey, entrepreneur's journey a little bit. I had some learnings from my previous company where it was really a critical mass. One of the prep questions was getting to critical mass and tipping point. And I wanted to get to that tipping point quicker. And my previous company, it took us a few years to get to that tipping point and to get the first school district to sign up. We ended up buying a couple of companies in this space that needed some modernization. And that gave us critical mass a lot sooner than we, one would have expected and hoped. So three years ago, so we started around COVID in and around COVID time from, so it's easy to remember when we found it. In three years, we're now close to 3000 high schools, middle schools, and elementary schools, primarily high schools. The acquisition was less than half of those schools. So we grow nicely organically. And that was because we reached a tipping point of enough large, respectable school districts, which some of them came with the acquisition. And we added many organically since, but having those reference accounts was the critical tipping point for us. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. And it's, I would imagine that a school district to school district referral is the strongest way for you to grow. Yes, but nothing stops our aggressive salespeople to, okay, aggressive, they're very personable, they're very nice, but nothing can take away the ability of a salesperson to get in front of the right customer. You've, you've done four companies and they, they are different. I mean, I get it. They've got some themes. What's been, what's been your biggest surprise in what, what you had to do to make companies successful? Like setting out, you would have never expected it. And now you go, all right, you got to do that part. It's not that part. It's just the ups and downs are, everyone talks about it, but you can't really be prepared for it. So give us an example. What's, I mean, obviously you started in COVID, which I can't imagine because the school systems were turned, like everything, were turned upside down in COVID. And a lot of sports were just canceled. They just said, we're canceling the season. Yeah, in some cases, but they started in fall again pretty quickly and the prep for that was a few minutes before. And actually that accelerated digitization of of, uh, certain elements. Why would you want to touch physical stuff like paper? So in that regard, that was helpful. I don't know that I could pinpoint one specific thing. It's just that the, it's, it's such a massive and large industry that mastering it and understanding it just takes a long time. Yeah. Yeah. How much of it is politics? I have an, uh, I've ex- only experienced it in one, in one aspect. And that was more in the parents' interactions with the school district and right. There's some state, but nothing to do with us, really. Yeah, so you you've stayed away from all that. Yeah, but I guess I'd ask you when you say how much of that, what is the that that is politics? How much of your challenges are because school None. boards or unions or or all the things that really have should have nothing to do with sports? None. None. Oh, okay. Very little. So where do the challenges then? What what is a typical? You get surprised, like you say, there's ups and downs. Yeah, I think the surprise is not all folks are incentivized by doing the right thing or growth. And some people are just status quo. The less they do, the happier they are. 
and given the responsibility they have, it's not a surprise. It's human nature. And I know it's true in many jobs. It's like the old, no one ever got fired for, for hiring IBM. Well, I think in bureaucracies, no one ever got fired for not doing something is unfortunately the truth. Right, right. So the incentive is against taking action. Oh, interesting. So if you make a mistake, you could get reprimanded. But if you don't do anything, you'll probably be okay. Hopefully, isn't it? <laughs> That's why I love our customers, because they, they care. Yeah. I was going to say, I couldn't imagine something more opposite than an entrepreneur than a school district because it's very hierarchical, very bureaucratic, very there's, then you got unions on top of it and you've got government in because you've got tax dollars funding it. I couldn't imagine anything less entrepreneurial, but then you come in and you have to be catalytic or proactive. I'm curious how that all plays out. Do you have to bring all of the ambition and all of the drive forward because they're not going to do it? In this industry, not so much because the athletic directors and, and um, coaches understand what the landscape is, understand what they need to do. And I think they're we're providing tools to make their life easier. People want to make their life easier. People want to get yep. more resources. So less so. I, I'm not... Actually, I think they really love the vision and buy into it. Oh, because you have a plug-and-play solution that they don't have to run. Correct. We're the one running it. It's cloud. Got it. Got it. Got it. Switch gears a little bit. You're a four-time founder, which is unusual. Is there a prototype or maybe a stereotype for a founder or CEO in terms of risk profile or in terms of skills or talents, or is it just anybody could do it? Anybody can do it. I mean, I think the guys who do it can't do anything else. Oh, like, say, say more. That they, like, that you would be terrible if you got a job at the school district, but you could work with the school district as an outsider? Yes. I, I, there's just, I, I think it would be very hard to get me to go uh, work at any job right now. It's just, I've done this for so many years. So when you say that, would, would you just be like a fish out of water or an oddball or, or an irritant? Or what would it look like? Probably all of the above. Yeah. So I, I would say entrepreneurs have a, have a calling to a large degree. They have a skill set and a, and, a, and a level of punishment that others probably don't have. And, and they view risk differently. It's not to take more risk. But for a lot of people, failure is a risk. And for us, the risk is not taking the chance. Right. And if you fail, you just say, great, we start over or we go a different direction. Yeah, but it's hard. I mean, not losing is a big part of life. That's, that's interesting. Is it a mindset of not losing? I'm trying not to lose versus I'm setting out to create a big win? I think not losing is, for me, is bigger than the winning. Uh, interesting. You can't handle losing. Like Michael Jordan, Tom Brady said it all the time. He said, I just hate losing. And you think, you've won seven Super Bowls. But he, he remembers the two or three that he lost. And he said, I just hate losing. What a <laughs> miserable way to be, huh? <laughs> well, but, but I imagine, and that probably, and maybe it's healthy, maybe it's not. If you and I went and played him and somebody else in doubles in tennis, he would be pissed if he lost. And you say, who cares? We went and played tennis and, and had lunch afterwards and it was fun. He'd be pissed about the serve, the double fault he had, and he'd be pissed about the unforced error when he hit it out for a 
you, you, you could argue that it's me making up parenting reasons. Like when I play anything with my kids, I play to win. And that was true when they were two. I do, I do too, because that's the way the world works. I, I understand. But I, I'm not willing to. <laughs> and now when they're starting to beat me in ping pong or when my son, my youngest, beat me in chess, yeah. I'm irritated. Yeah, I love it, though, but I'm irritated at the same time. <laughs> the, the Talmud has a great saying, which is, a man is not jealous. I should say a person, not just a man. Uh, but they, they, I think that's the term they used of a of his of his student and of his son, and I think that's true. I mean, I'd love to see my kids do far better than I do in every aspect, their height, their any any anything that they do. So, sure. Um, so, you, how, tell me the ages again of your kids. You you said you've got three. Yeah, the old Q four babies. So almost fifteen. Almost 13, we have a bar mitzvah coming, and almost 12. Okay. Is there a way to raise them as entrepreneurs? I talk to entrepreneurs a lot, and they would love that their kids are entrepreneurs, but I've not gotten a definitive answer. Can you raise entrepreneurial kids, or is it just some kids are entrepreneurs and some kids are not? You can encourage, but I think you can encourage my, my instincts. I'm more free-range parenting. My wife is not so much into that, but pushing people to take risks, to do things. One of my proudest moments as a dad is when they, all three of these kids got together to sell books around the neighborhood, when door knocking to sell books. And I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. And you could care less if they make any money. You're just glad that they took the initiative and said, yeah, of course. I've got seven kids. And one of the things we did with our kids, we wouldn't give them money after age 10. There was no allowance or nothing. Oh, wow. But the other thing we didn't do, because a lot of parents did, they make up fake chores around the house and then overpay them for crappy work. They say, if you if you straighten up the shoes in the shoe closet, then I'll give you $10. And you think, that's a two-minute job. They slept through it and you gave them 10 bucks. The problem is it gives them a false sense of what is worth $10. And I wanted them to say, so we made sure that it was always outside of the house. They had to go to the neighbor's house and say, do you want your gutters cleaned or your windows washed? And if they did a lousy job because they were 10 years old, the neighbor would say, I'm not paying you until you do it. And that was really helpful because I wasn't the bad guy. They got really good feedback. I, love it. But, I absolutely love it. I think it's, no, but it's, it's funny. People, people thought I was cruel because we had a custom home and it was stupid expensive in a high end neighborhood. And here's my kids going door to door and saying, do you have any screens that have a slit in them? Because my one son was really mechanical. He knew that this, the roll of screen was like 20 bucks. And with that roll, you can roll it out and replace a screen. And there's a little tool. It takes about 10 minutes if you know what you're doing. He would charge $25. He'd go knock on your door. If your back screen door had a slit in it and flies could come in, they'd go, you can fix the screen? Yes, I can. $25. And, he, and he'd say, I'll have it back tomorrow. He'd, he'd He'd take the screen door off, fix it, and bring it back tomorrow, and he'd get 25 bucks. That transaction was priceless because he had to learn how to deal with people. And if he did a lousy job, they wouldn't pay him. I didn't want that coming from me. I wanted them to get it from the real world. That was in our neighborhood, so it was safe. But it was funny because people would say, "You're cru that's cruel. It's like, that's not cruel. My kids never go without education. I, well, they, they were in private schools, and they wore Nikes and all that stuff. But if they wanted 
Air Jordans, they had to make 250 bucks. I wasn't going to buy them Air Jordans. If they felt that was a good thing for them to have, I thought, good for you. Then you're going to need to do 10 screens at 25 bucks a head because you're going to need 250 bucks. Have at it. And great. They learned what. Where do you live, if I may ask? What's that? Where do you live? Which, which part of the world? I'm right in the heart of Silicon Valley. So, Got it. Yeah. But it doesn't. I, I grew up in Detroit and I did the same thing as a kid. I hustled everything. I, and uh, it, you could just make way more money hustling than you could working at McDonald's as your first job. You made no money working at the McDonald's. And I could make a ton of money cleaning gutters. <laughs> well, you know, my kids were born in, were born in, we're, we're in Palo Alto when all three were born. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. well, then, yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I know the area. Well, we could talk about this forever, but I, I will share with you that when my daughter and I had an exchange, she was selling lemonade in the corner. I said, why are you selling it here? She, I said, you could get a lot more traffic in the train station or park. So she says to me, but I'm going to carry the lemonade. Great question. So well, I can carry it for you. I said, but I'm not free. I want half the revenue if I'm thinking right. it. <laughs> she did not like that idea. Yeah, she's going, wait a minute. You're the worst employee I've ever had. You're way too expensive. You're union. You're union and guy. So, <laughs> another proud moment that came out of it. I was walking with my youngest son. who was then, I don't know how old he was, seven maybe. And I asked him about, he was looking at, I asked him about a house and he said, for whatever reason, he said, oh, that house didn't buy from us. Like he had memorized. He knew. It's like, that's a bad house. They didn't buy anything from us. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. It, well, this, but I love that uh, you and I share the same ethic because they get a different experience selling books to people that don't have to buy them than you saying, oh, you're selling books to, to raise money for your school project. All right, I'll buy five books I don't want just because I'm a good parent. That's, they don't learn from that. Because the world, then when they go into the real world and say, but it's hard. And you say, yeah, it is hard. They actually have to want your books and they have to pay you for them. And if they don't, they're going to say, none of these books are any good. Do you have anything that I would want to buy? That's a much better lesson for them. I'm convinced you can raise entrepreneurial kids, but the best way to, to not do it is to give them an allowance. Because then they just say, yeah, everything's basically you're, you're giving them welfare and saying, I'm entitled to my lifestyle for doing nothing. And I, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a whole different conversation. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm always curious about that. Do entrepreneurs have entrepreneurial kids? And is there is there like an entrepreneurial gene? I don't know that there is, but certainly you can influence them. Yeah. So what I, I'm curious in your company, what do you optimize for? The intersection of value to customers and growth. So how do you measure that? Is that like this measuring it? Or do you have metrics and you say, oh, when, when we hit this metric, we know we're providing value or we're pro providing growth or we're providing, what the, I forgot the third intersection, but how do you measure that? Or how do you track that? Like, how would you know you're better than last quarter or better than last year? Well, no, it's, 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 it depends. So we're more seasonal business. So it's just conversion rates of customers. There's a bunch of ways. I mean, depending on what line of business it is, but it's, it's it comes down to conversion. So it shows up in sales metrics. Sales metrics. Okay. Cause they won't, they won't renew or convert 
if there's no value or there's no, yeah. Yeah. Got it. That's, I, I guess that's simple enough. So is it, was it in tracking all that? Was there an inflection point? Like the, was there, you've been doing this three years and starting in COVID, I couldn't imagine because you're starting essentially with your hands tied behind your back a little bit. Was there some point where you said, Oh, got it. We're cracking the code now. And now we're going, now we're not going like this. We're going like that. It's iterative. I can't say anything more than it's just iterative. It just, you learn every season you learn and you get better. So can you have a hockey stick or is it just, just be better than we were yesterday or last week? Sometimes I think it, sometimes it requires investments, but you could have a hockey stick, but it's, it, you hit a tipping point and then you hit a hockey stick when, when you get enough critical mass. That's how that works typically. Got it. Got it. Also curious with entrepreneurs, focus tends to be a superpower. Like stay, stay away from all the crap I shouldn't and stay focused. If you take that as a principle or as a theory, maybe. Where do you then get your information from? Like, because you don't have time to be on TikTok all day long. You don't have time to be a. No, I mean, look, you you go to some tried and new news publications, or you go to Tech Meme, etc. You just there's a few go to places, and that's where I go to. So, paid media, I would take it. No, no, Tech Meme is just an aggregator of technology news, Google News. You see what people share on LinkedIn. Those are the oh, I, I, I don't spend too much time on that, but I do like to try and stay up to date. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. So we have another theory. I coach CEOs of scaling companies. So one of the theories we work with is that a company can only scale as fast as the CEO is scaling their own capability or their yeah. own growth. Fair or no? Fair. What so might I, it look like if your team is growing? I mean, not, not sales growth, but growing faster than the CEO. Like the CEO is stagnated or perhaps frozen, like frozen in fear. What, what would start to show up in an organization that, that looked like that? I'm trying to, to, to think through the question. I mean, I think that the, one of our growth orientation is really critical in our company. And we all need to be coachable. So that, that's a big part of what we, we focus on and, and one-on-ones and, and in our quarterly check-ins, it's just really, how are you growing? Where, how do you want to grow? And we, like, for example, the management, what's the one thing you want to change about yourself this year? And you all have to share the ethos and be vulnerable enough for the team and be growth oriented enough that you want to do that. And you do that. That's part of your internal Correct. methodology. Correct. No, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yes, it's, it's, it's super cool as well. Got a couple more questions. And the other theory we're playing with is there are talents. I'm not going to call them skills because skills you can always learn. Like you can learn to become a better dancer by taking lessons and practicing. That's a skill. But there's some what we call unteachable talents. The theory being there are some unteachable talents that scale companies really, really well. Curious, the one that I like, my favorite one is charisma. If somebody tries to learn charisma, they look really clunky because it's a hard thing. It's, I think it's unteachable. I think it's also unlearnable. You either develop or acquire it and, and have charisma or you don't. I'm curious if there are other, what I would call unteachable talents that are 
unbelievably valuable or more valuable than for, for scaling companies. I wonder if hustle is a teachable. I think it's either you people have it or they don't. That's interesting. It's either, it's either a stage in life or a characteristic. I don't know. That's interesting because you, you're in the sports facet. With the, the high school I went to it was a private high school and we were, they were, some sports were really good and some were not. But the meth, one of the methodologies they had was that playing time at some level was for hustle. So that they instilled hustle as a, as a core value, not by saying that's a core value. They said, you, you'll play if you hustle. You'll be rewarded. Well, you'll be rewarded because hustle is free. Anybody, even if you suck at basketball and you can't shoot very well, if you can hustle and play defense, there's there's minutes for you. There's definitely some minutes for you. It, it's interesting. I wonder were, were they was that teaching hustle or or was it just revealing who? It, it's an interesting question because you're right. Some people all they got is like their hustle all the time. And some people have have naturally no hustle. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Last question. It's a fun one we do with all of our guests. If we followed you around with a National Geographic film crew in junior high school, seventh and eighth grade, would anyone, having witnessed you for those couple of years, because nobody says, oh, I peaked in seventh. Those are my two best years. That's a tough, those are tough years for anybody. Would you or I have, have placed a futures bet on you and said, oh, this guy, absolutely, this guy would probably be a CEO or a founder or he'll run companies. Or would we have said, uh, eh, probably not? The answer is yes. This, it could have been maybe ninth grade. Okay. Eight, seven, eight. Yeah. But in seven, eighth grade, I believe I sold my neighbor's computer on their behalf, their used computer. In ninth grade, I sat next to a business person who during Passover Seder and, and we struck up a conversation and end up interning for his company in the summer. And so I think that would tell you probably exhibited some, some unusual initiatives. That's for initiative sure. As a young kid, tendencies towards business. So I don't think it's, I think they wouldn't find it a huge shock. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm not sure uh, if my friends would, but they wouldn't. It's the reason I asked the question is because it's so hard to predict anybody from seventh and eighth grade because most kids have braces or pimples or oh, sure. they all have terrible uh, boys, especially have terrible haircuts that, that they thought were cool at the time. And you go, mm-hmm. that's what seventh me. and eighth grade is. It's a place to make mistakes. So, yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's great. Well, I'll, I'll watch for the National Geographic special on you. Uh, it's probably coming up soon on on cable somewhere. Yeah, yeah my brothers and sisters would would called me the ape man for many years. So <laughs> as, as only brothers and sisters can. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, there, yeah, there's a reason why families are dysfunctional. It's called brothers and sisters. I got, I got eight of them. So it's oh, lucky yeah. man. Yeah. Well, that's, I, have, it's the same. I have two brothers and two sisters. So. Yeah. Yeah. We're thick as thieves, but what people will look at us and go, you guys are so mean to each other. Go, nah, that's, that's just, that's just who we are. When they stop, I'll worry. Yeah, that's when I'll worry too. Yeah, when the when the abuse stops. Yeah, that's right. That's great. Well, Heskey, thanks so much for being our guest today on Genius at Scale. For our regular listeners, we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. All the best. Thanks for joining me on another powerful episode of Genius at Scale. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to continue your journey into the world of scaling, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform 
And while you're there, leave us a five-star review and let the world know how the insights of these amazing CEOs helped you. Also, if you're hungry to discover more counterintuitive strategies to scale your business, don't forget to grab a copy of my book, The Little Book of Big Scale, where I've compiled wisdom and insights from CEOs who have successfully scaled their companies against all odds. Or you can go to our website, www.evokinggenius.com backslash book. Thanks again for tuning in. Go forth and scale.